you like to make any other noises before we start the episode? Uh, there. That's all. Okay. Hi. Welcome to the HSQ cast. Uh, my name is Spencer Shoning, and the uh, sheep over there is my co-host, Shiara Niker. <laughs> Hi. How are you? We've been talking for five minutes. I, I know how you are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm good. How are you? I'm also good. We've been we've been having a good time here. Um, so today we are starting a new chapter in the life of the HSQ cast, uh, the short two to three episode lifespan. Um, she's getting reborn. She's coming out of her cocoon. Uh, and we are going to do a bit of a mini series uh, diving into the life and history and works and legacy of Eric Rofez, who, if you do not know, is a uh, activist uh, that was at HSU for a very long time and has a very uh, prominent legacy at Humboldt State University, uh, the Eric Rofest Center, uh, our LGBTQ space on campus is named after him, uh, among other many things that he has done, particularly for the CRGS department uh, here at Humboldt State. Yeah, he's a very prominent queer activist, and um, he has been described as a queer visionary by many of his former peers and colleagues. Um, he was born in Comic, New York in 1954, so right on the cusp of the Cold War. Um, so, of course, this political turmoil from the 50s through the 90s must have affected the way he approached his activism, which um, included a lot of things changing very rapidly throughout those four or five decades. Yeah, so among other things, you have got uh, conservatism in the early 60s, um, which, of course, then leads into, you know, we've got the civil rights movement on the head of that. Uh, there's the Lavender Scare, the Red Scare, uh, all wrapped into a nice little bow of McCarthyism. Um, and if you were gay, you were a communist. If you were communist, you were gay is basically the best way that I can uh, sum up those two, I think, I feel yeah. like they were, they were, uh, because of the, um, the various, uh, colored scares of the sixties, um, yeah. homosexual men in particular were, uh, viewed with a particularly stern, uh, lens, I guess you could say. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very, um, there was a lot, it was just anti-communism, anti-homosexuality. It was the sixties. You guys know how it was. Pretty awful. What, what more do I uh, have to say about the 60s? Nothing happens the in there. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing happened. So because he grew up in the 60s and 70s, um, the civil rights movement and the beginnings of the queer liberation movements um, really had a profound effect on how he viewed and interacted with the world. Um, and it offered a sense of really radical at the time community um, and a drive towards like true radical activism. Yeah. And as a bit of an aside, more of a context, uh, the Stonewall riots happened in 1969 when Rofez is only 15 years old. Uh, and I can imagine that that offered him a, uh, a brief glimpse into uh, his future as an activist and probably offered a lot of hope at the time, um, even though uh, queer people were second class citizens. Uh, we, you know, that was that was the first real movement, the first uh 
prominently reported on and talked about, um, you know, queer folks fighting back for our liberation, you know? Yeah, yeah. Queer people were definitely pretty horrifically mistreated during the time, and he had to make sure to step really carefully, um, especially prior to um, his graduation from Harvard in 1976. Um, And after that, he went to dive deeper into activism, especially queer liberation. Um, But unfortunately, soon after that, um, the AIDS crisis of the 80s and 90s and a sharper decline into conservatism began in the United States. So uh, we talked, we, I briefly mentioned the rise of conservatism earlier. Uh, it began its propaganda in middle-class America in the 60s um, and really reared its ugly head during the start of the 1980s and uh, with, a, with a good old friend of mine, uh, Ronald Reagan. Um, and we're not going to get super into everything that he's done because we would need a lot of time to get through all the awful things, but he definitely undid a lot of the work. Uh, done in the activism through the 60s and 70s, you know, hippies, anti-war, all of that. He really undid all of that now that I think about it deeply. He made life very difficult for queer people, especially queer men. Yeah, but uh, in spite of that, Riff has still pushed forward towards queer liberation uh, with a seemingly endless amount of supplies and mental stamina, which I commend the man for. It's, you know... it is everyone talks about the ways in which it is hard to uh, to be on the the front lines of your own activism. It's a lot of hard work. So, you know, to be yeah. especially in a time where I'm not going to discount the um, effects that the AIDS crisis had on more marginalized uh, queer spaces in any regard, um, but gay men were very targeted and very much at the front of that. Um, if not in a being the most uh, systematically affected, being the most uh, affected by the media and the uh, beliefs around what AIDS was, um, really just made that super extra pointed. Yeah, his, his, his work in queer activism must have definitely been so incredibly draining, like you said, especially during that time. But he, he pushed through it and he did a million different projects over the rest of his life. Um, from 1985 through 88, he led the Los Angeles Gay and Lesbian Community Center, which was the largest LGBT community organization worldwide at the time. Um, and it offered a refuge for queer people in need. Um, after that, he worked on the San Francisco Shanti Project from 1989 to 1993, which at the time was an organization focused on the rapidly worsen- worsening AIDS epidemic, but now deals with other um, terminal and infectious diseases. Oh, really? That's cool. Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So back in the ye old 1990s, in 1980s, uh, gay men were believed to be uh, not only predisposed to HIV or AIDS, but uh, deserving of such a, a fate uh, for their quote-unquote immoral, immoral behavior, uh, which now we know it's just an STI um, and a subsequent immunodeficiency syndrome. Um, it is also treatable to the point of management now, so it's not, um, you know, I feel like when we think a lot about like HIV and, and AIDS, especially in the day of 
of 21st century like modern medicine um there's a I don't know this might be a take that is wrong (laughs) but (laughs) I I feel like it's not as big of a deal anymore it sucks but it's kind I see it kind of lumped in with um, other autoimmune disorders that are treatable um obviously it's still a thing that weighs on you in a social way uh with the social uh, stigma around being HIV positive um but back in the 80s and 90s like this was kind of a death sentence um especially if you were a more yeah it it was it was absolutely like wrecking communities um and I think that that is often kind of not like forgotten about but it's like how now we're like oh well it's it's not so bad right now it, it still is <laughs> um it, it still is it really is and um our elders are many of them we have no longer have with us because of the way this crisis and a crisis is the correct term to use completely destroyed a huge chunk of the queer community at the time yeah totally very, uh, yeah, very, yeah. Very it sad. Sucks. Yeah, um, it, it sucks. It's such a sad it, episode. Yeah, I promise. Like yeah. once we were we're covering, uh, I guess one of the things I could have mentioned about this series is how it's going to break down. Um, we are going to focus this episode. It's going to be a little shorter uh, because we are focusing on the life of Eric Rofez before he went to Humboldt State University. Um, and kind of the context of the world that he was living in. Um, next episode, we're going to talk about specifically his time at Humboldt State University uh, with a further two episodes focusing on the work that he published in and around uh, this time and, and kind of unpacking what resources that we've been able to find um, and just talking about some of the theories he thought about. But for now, we're just kind of telling you where he was at when these things were happening and and what the world was like when he went to work um, for Humboldt State. Yes. Yeah. So, so leading up to this um, time at Humboldt State um, and after the AIDS crisis, he led a life in which he really strived to honor those affected by the crisis, especially other gay men who had been victimized the most by the media, like we had mentioned earlier. Um, and he worked really closely with his own community and always persevered that gay and queer sexual liberation did not need to be dismantled or removed in order to fix the prob- problem of the AIDS crisis, which is what a lot of what cis heteronormative society was saying at the time. Yeah, so sexuality was an extremely integral part of not only Eric Rofes's personal life, um, but many of his works, which, like I said, we're going to uh, discuss in later episodes that and uh, specifically things that Rofes talks about with um, queer people engaging uh, in, you know, the world around them while trying to separate their uh I guess I could say less um, desirable uh, queerness, uh, specifically sexual activity um, from their everyday personhood and their careers and their, um, you know, many identities that they bring out into the world, Um, which is a, you know, a personal note here. That was something that when we read 
Eric Rofus's stuff, I was not something I really thought about. Um, yeah. But listen, again, I don't speak for Humboldt State University. Gay sex is cool, and I'll say it because <laughs> that's that's kind of what it, that <laughs> yeah, like that's um, what Rofus it, it like he talks about. He's like you can't like it's really important to you, to you, gay yeah. communities. Like you you can't ignore the, yeah, the it, sexual part of of sexuality kind of defeats the purpose yeah he he really did focus on like the like intimacy that other like every aspect of someone's life has with all the other aspects um for like longitudinally for a person's entire life um which i found really interesting and i love about his works um so he was super into like putting into practice longevity um which is lot like at forward thinking, which is what the the opposite of what non queer people were asking of queer people at the time. Um, and he, as his former colleague Chris Bartlett had stated, um, he valued his drive to plan twenty years ahead instead of having a crisis mentality and reacting to the crisis of the day, which was in reference to the AIDS crisis. So he was really able to think ahead with his activism and think about how these things snowball into other things later in life. And I'm sure he would have been interested in what life has become today for queer people. Yeah, I, I think so too. And I think this like sense of longevity and, and what the future holds for the liberation of queer people um, is something to, to take with us in the activism and like the thought that we, we have today. Um, because... I, hmm, how do I want to organize my thoughts? Who's to say? <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I think part of the thing that I'm thinking about and um, some of the things that I've been learning about in my classes at Humboldt State University, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, uh, is, <laughs> um, you know, when we talk about the future, uh, who's in it? And yeah. what what does that look like um, when we talk about uh, you know medical advancements? What is the ideal man that everyone wants to see in the future? And by everyone, I mean like the groups in society that hold power over <laughs> the medical system and institution. <laughs> yeah, um, which is this at white people? In case you weren't uh, clear, uh, <laughs> so. <laughs> That's always interesting. And I think um, we, because I think this might be a bit of a hot take, but I think it is easier in the day-to-day to survive as a member of the rainbow community for the most part. Um, I yeah. want I asterisk, of course, around things like the pandemic um, and, and all of that, which, um, I don't want to purposefully ignore, but for the sake of my point, I want to say just in the last like decade before this, um, things were getting a bit more, um, easier to manage in the day to day. I personally think, um, and with that then comes the like alleviation of immediate need to act, I guess. Um, because I Definitely. feel like I, I, a, like, trans, white, masculine, cis-passing, whatever the hell, uh, if there was someone identical to me existing 
20 years ago, I feel like, and of course there was, I would, we'll say 30 years ago, 30 to 40 years ago, I feel like they had a lot more immediate fear about every day of their lives than I experience. Like, I am going to die type of fear. Like, I don't experience that to the same degree as someone living that life in, like, 1991. Um, Yeah. Again, asterisks, it was harder for for trans women, trans women of color, all that stuff. Um, But I think the point still stands. And um, so with that, there comes a sense of, like, ease of, of burden, but we still have to think about our futures and what the futures of the marginalized members of our own community um, look like, you know, because yeah. when we talk about the future of gay liberation, are people seeing trans and gender variant people of color in that circle? Are they seeing yeah. uh, queer, are they seeing queer people disabled of people? Flat out? Are they seeing people of color flat out? Like, you know, how if we yeah. want to we have to fight for the right to be in our own future still yeah. in some way um yeah and you know, i really you, think that sorry go ahead no you you go i was just gonna keep talking out of my ass okay. <laughs> no I, I was just saying i think that what rofez was doing we can in some way return to that by not censoring ourselves for the sake of advancing the queer community and making things better for ourselves. Does that make yeah. sense? Or do I sound insane? No, you know, you're right. It's don't, like, don't, don't suppress your, your special intimate understanding of the world as a queer person, just so that other people can be like, yeah, you get more rights. Like, yeah. Fight for it. That's what yeah. he wanted. Um, his activism and education were very intertwined. Um, you know, yeah. education was a part of activism. Activism was a part of education. Um, they are not separate. And there are complications that come with not separating it um, in the way that, that Rofez describes for some people. Um, but again, that's all things that um, we will talk about when we dive into the nitty gritty of his work, get all in between yes. those pages. Yes. And next week, we will be focusing on um, the time Rofez spent at Humboldt State teaching in the education department after he graduated from UC Berkeley. This man went to every college in the United States. (laughs) He went to every school and got every degree. That's what I'm doing, actually. It's it's why college is so expensive, is you have to go and get every single college degree. He went to Harvard, and then he went to Berkeley, and then he taught Man. at Humboldt State. University run, 100%. Yeah. Uh, speed run. 100, 100% completion speed run university edition. Yeah, yeah right. Uh, All okay. right. Well, that's it for episode one. Um, we will, yeah. Like Shara said, we'll be back next week um, to talk about his, his time at HSU. Um, which is which is really what you care about anyway. Um, but yeah. this is all an important part, um, you know, because there are humans behind our the people that that write our fancy um, like you know queer theory, and there are there are human beings behind our educators and our activists. Um, and I think that it's important to to explore a little to humanize bit of that them. to humanize them and yeah. to humanize the time and like really think about the era yeah. in which he's working in 
it's not the same as working in, in this stuff now. And it, he was really ahead of his time in some of the things that he brings up um, and brings to education. Very, yeah. So, yeah. Transsexual gay sex is cool, and I will say it. Yeah. I don't think people will yeah. like that I said transsexual, but that's okay. I... We don't have a cool, we don't have a cool catchphrase yet. And maybe we never will, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> have, you seen, have you seen that? Have you seen that? Um, that TikTok audio, this, the fucking, the you smell like baka thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh. <laughs> oh, goodness. Yeah, that'll, that'll be our outro. You kind of smell with the, like a maca. Yeah. Yeah. See you next time, I guess. Thank you for listening to the HSQ cast, brought to you by Humboldt State University's Social Justice, Equity, and Inclusion Center, and supported by listeners like you. For more information about the SJEIC, what it is we do, and upcoming events, you can head to sjei.humboldt.edu for more information. If you have any questions or comments regarding our episodes, you can send us an email at qcbc at humboldt.edu, and there's a chance that we'll read and respond to your comments in an episode in the future. If you'd like to follow us on social media, you can find us at HSU underscore SJEIC. And to listen to any other episodes published by the HSQ cast, you can find them wherever you get your podcasts. Just search up HSQ cast. Thank you for listening.